I was watching this documentary on Olafur Eliasson. He's a an artist, Icelandic, and he's just a, a badass. And he has this documentary on the Netflix series Abstract. He's the first episode of season two. And one of the things that he said that really caught my attention was he said, um, we get obsessed with how and we forget why we're doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that to me kind of sums up what you were just talking about, right? It's like you get so like nose to the grindstone survival mode and, and you kind of get into the weeds and you forget that. Like, why did you start doing this in the first place? I think architects in general get to that, right? Where it's like, wh- why am I even in this profession? Like, I used to love it. You know, I, that's, I hear a lot of people say that. I, I, I was in love with this, and I, and I don't even know anymore. And I think, you know, I could see that being very similar when you are building a tool that basically started out where you scratched your own itch. Like, this is what people don't understand. Testbit was two guys for, like, three years. And all we, all we were good at is, like building okay software and then like shipping it and putting gifts about it. And that's really all people got from us. And now it's like, okay, maybe I should do some more thought leadership or I don't know, expose the internet to my brain a little bit more. Hold on to that for a moment. Let's do like a, pro- oh, yeah. let's do a proper intro here. <laughs> okay, fine. We'll, we'll do an intro. Hi there. I'm Evan Troxel. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Clifton Harness, welcome to the show. Hey, hey. Nice to have you here. So so we've been chatting a little bit kind of pre-show, but I think it would be good to kind of jump in right where you just left off. So so you say, you know, upcoming pretty soon, you're going to be, and, and obviously Twitter is your main marketing uh, channel, right? Uh, so I can talk, I can talk a little bit about why I post things where maybe. Okay. Yeah, that would be good. And so, and then talk about kind of where, where you're headed with, with, you know, some near term things that you're working on and what we, what we can expect to see from you coming out of that. So te- real quick, sure. test fit is a building configurator tool, mainly based on multifamily housing that Clifton and one other partner started, lived off for three years and have recently raised some funding to expand that tool into other markets and do all kinds of other things. Um, this really isn't a show about Clifton and interview style or anything. It's more of a conversation about technology and architecture and kind of the intersection of those things. So back to Twitter. Where, where are you going? Where are you going with Twitter? Uh, so so look, there, LinkedIn is by far the biggest moneymaker for like a B two B kind of company. Mm-hmm. That's where people are to look at professional stuff. You know, yeah. I'm not going to sell software on, on Facebook. That's crazy to me that people try to do that. And Twitter is this really fun kind of intersection between what I would, you know, call like people are less aggressive. They're not going to be like angry at you for making something. So you can make something, you can post it on Twitter and you get some feedback on it pretty quickly. It's also kind of um, where our AEC community is, right? Like they're, yeah, they're yeah, not so much on really, Instagram. They're, they're mostly yeah. on Twitter. It's a really healthy group on on Twitter. People people are excited about new technology on, on on Twitter. So it's there is maybe a bit of an echo chamber problem because you're not getting like rank and file people who are not on the technology scene. Like so, what I'm saying is like you might post something, you get a lot of positive feedback on it, but you're never going to get the negative stuff. 
so there's maybe a weakness. You know, I, I'm okay with people being really critical of, of features and stuff. Like I, I'd rather hear I'd rather hear it during R and D than hear it during sales pitches, right? Also, like anybody can can respond to stuff on Twitter, which is great. Uh, we 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 use sometimes the the little po- the vote, you know, like you can do a poll. Um, I think we did one on, you know, we were, we were trying to to decide whether or not we're going to do wall thicknesses and test fit, and yes, the question. And I think the result was fifty percent of people want wall thickness, and the other fifty percent don't. So Such we're a like decision maker. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, this is great. We can make an informed decision now. Nope. <laughs> It's also um, a great place there where you can actually post gifts, right? Yeah, yeah, gifts. We we love gifts and they're they're kind of got the attention span for millennials that, that we need, you know, 10, 10, 30 seconds gets a point across and it doesn't require them to read, which some people like to get down in the dirt and kind of read a bunch and write white papers and we just haven't really found that to be it's getting more the more and more academics that's that start to get turned on to test fit the more we we probably need to start explaining things a little better but right they they bring just a whole different ball game of questions which is great so as far as this upcoming tweet storm that you're kind of formulating right now you you posted <laughs> okay and, and my comment my reply on your on your post was that like now we know that generative design has finally made it because you posted <laughs> an image of bathroom layouts Yes. So look, we're going to work on automating things that every like high quantity items. There's a lot of bathrooms that get designed in the world. So they don't, they're not uh, just rectangles. They're not just rectangles too. So we're going to focus on stuff like, you know, can we automate fixture counts and keep people accountable to what's an IBC just from the get go. That one's super easy. And, you know, big shout outs up codes for building a little tool that they've got uh, that we use to sort of check our math that uh, people haven't checked out upcodes yeah definitely living on rock really excited about what they're doing and yeah so bathrooms uh, is one thing stairs you know some guy on twitter was talking about stairs the other day and i was like yeah that's we're working on that right now yeah. which you, you wouldn't think like you know if it were me i probably would just copy the stair that i used in the last project and reuse it over and over again but Different projects have different floor to floor heights, different yeah. needs. Um, like your every tread project distances. has different yeah. floor to floor heights. Yeah, yeah. So different exiting width requirements, stuff like that. Oh yeah, and that was another. You know, we talked to the engineers on our side, and 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 you you, you sort of explain, you know, okay, if the stair is forty eight inches wide, you know, what capacity does it have? And uh, this is a great opportunity for the engineers to learn about life safety. Uh, so we're 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 really really you know, trying to automate the stuff that is annoying, like life safety compliance, so that architects can focus more on on design solutions. Yeah, I said this the other day uh, internally, but, you know, I was like, and I asked my team, you know, are we a feasibility tool or are we a design tool? Um, I think someone said that we are a feasibility tool that flirts with design. Mm. So I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think well, lots of people can use it as a design tool, but there is there is definitely a difference between feasibility and design. So. Yeah, and the reason I said that it was we've reached like peak generative design or, or it's finally viable is because like internally we've built a parking lot tool that is the thing most people talk about. And it's because it's such a pain in the ass and nobody ever wants to do it again that that is the thing that has the most mind share, right? And it kind of I think it is all about automating these low level things that nobody really wants to do, but they have so much they have so many hours stuck in these things, laying out plumbing fixtures, the right distances between them, the right clearances, 
and that's all code driven stuff and any time that that stuff can be automated, I would much rather spend my time somewhere else, right? And and in your tool, the, the thing that you posted, that's exactly how everybody does it. They start with rectangles and because it's yep. all about clearances, right? Nobody knows what the fixtures are. Nobody knows a lot of things at that stage. <laughs> but at that feasibility study level, you just want to make sure it fits and that it, it could turn into reality because you could easily swap out a sink rectangle with a sink later on right? A 2D sink and then a 3D sink and whatever you need. But that to me seems like you, you just have a natural pipeline all of a sudden, whereas before yeah. they were just dumb rectangles in AutoCAD. Yeah. Like, uh, this, this is, a maybe an unpopular opinion, but Revit's an amazing documentation tool Yeah, by far, like killing everybody else in that, that regard. But I think when people try to use it as a, as a design tool, especially for highest level kind of building components, you know, this wing of this building is, is at this angle. And when you're trying to make those decisions, dealing with a pretty heavy, heavy BIM model with all database behind it, it's pretty hefty and, uh, users want more of a low latency experience. So, yeah, uh, I mean, just try moving a bunch of objects in Revit. It takes forever, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, don't you think, though, that that comes from, like, mobile computing, right? Now it's like uh, you got a phone in your pocket, uh, you swipe up from the bottom of the screen if it's an iPhone, and and everything is just, there's zero latency. It's perfect. Let's just say yep. most of the time it's absolutely perfect. The animations, the responsiveness, the way it interacts with you, and that has set a level of expectation across the board for, for software. And so when you get, and, and obviously, like, we understand why things take longer, but then sometimes we don't, right? You're in Revit and you move one thing and all of a sudden the blue spinning wheel comes up for a long time and you're like, what did I do? Uh, and and so then people just get frustrated with that kind of thing. And so you're talking about having a low latency design tool and, I'll, and, and you're right, all you really need are rectangles because we understand the abstraction of what is actually happening in there and we do expect it to happen quickly. And I think that's probably one of the best things about test fit is just how fast and responsive it is and it feels lightweight right i know there's a lot going on in there because i can see it i can just see what it's showing me on the screen but it's so responsive and so fast to me like that's a a huge feat that you guys have pulled off and i know you're not doing the full 3d revit database thing but you got Mm -hmm. a lot of 3d in there and you're doing a lot of calculations we 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 have we have the amount of 3d that you really want at this point in the process. You don't want Right. You got to build tools for, for the task at hand. And so, you know, there might be some people that are like, you know, well, how do I do a round trip from test fit into Revit back into test fit where I can grab my walls and grab all my things that I need. And I'm just like, no, you don't do that. You make the decision that we now need to document this building in a, a, you know, more higher level of detail design tool. And then you, you basically push it out. I was having that yeah. exact conversation with somebody earlier last week, and it was like, how long do you actually still want to be able to move the, you know, in this case, we were talking about like control surfaces, right? When you're talking about like industrial design and somebody designed mm-hmm. some swoopy, curvy, Corian thing, and all of the structure and everything is linked to this single con- this control surface, right? And so right. you manipulate the surface and everything under the hood updates, how long do you really want that link to be live? I mean, you've got to cut it off at some point, I think. Oh, 
yeah, right. So th- this is always the like you keep it live for like until the last possible moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and nobody knows when yeah. that actually is, right? It just yeah, it just knows. happens at some point. It's like the closer you get to the deadline, the more corners you cut, and at some point you start breaking stuff. And that to right. me, that's also why we've had we have so many problems today too, right? Because that's why the database is so dirty, and that's why. People are stealing stuff from the last project that was broken then. So guess what? It's still broken now. That yeah, I mean, Evan, like uh, the way that I look at it is, it's sort of like if if a, a BIM modeling software is like a T Rex, you're 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 uh, you're like the arms. yeah yeah little arms, <laughs> like it's super powerful, but it has little arms, right? But you know, maybe maybe you, maybe you're riding on the T Rex on a saddle and like you can barely control it. Yeah. <laughs> But like you can kind of move it in some way. I don't. I gotta come up with a better, a better, more visual representation. But I like. But that. really, like, like, look, like the 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 promise of Dynamo is that you can now re relabel thousands of door tags all at once. Like right. in my mind, that's a perfect use of Dynamo. Yeah. Um, it's when it gets in the generative design stuff where it's a really hard sell for just typical designers want to hop in and and wire stuff up and okay now we can generate. You know, 30 hours later, now we can generate a box. Right. <laughs> True. Yeah, I kind of think about it as like the the pragmatic stuff is the best stuff for those kinds of tools. Uh, and then if because the, the more designer it gets, the more bespoke the outcome is going to be and the, and the harder it is to actually make it do what, what you want. Like I have a lot of people saying we want scripts based on optimal performance, drive geometry of the building. It's like, well, optimal to who? Yeah, and and what are the what are the inputs? What are the constraints? What, there's so many things there that it's like that is so easy to say and so difficult to do. And then how do you make that go across to another project? Like it it's going to break. It's going to break and it's going to break and it's going to break and then pretty soon you have a full-on application instead of a lightweight script. So instead of solving the problem for a lot of projects, you end up solving it individually, which is right back where we're at, where we're at. And so, you know, capital A architecture is really designed for the 1%, which is funded by the 1%. And if we aren't willing to kind of step back from that as a profession and say, how do we make architecture for the other 90% or the 99% and give up some of that bespokeness of the capital D design and architecture, how are, how are we actually going to, you know, change the world? We, you can't really do it one building at a, one glass tower at a time. On that note, you know, I don't know if it really helps the 1% argument, but we've got a customer in Austin. He's a real estate developer. He's been in the industry for 30 years and you know, he's a whiz at financial modeling. He's got a pretty small shop. They're pretty e- efficient. You know, they'll do maybe three or four hundred thousand feet a year. But we trained him, and and he just sort of made a comment like, "I've been in this industry for you know multifamily industry for twenty five years. I've never drawn my own site plan until today." So you know, it is developers using TestFit from time. You know, about half our customers are, are real estate developers, um, and it's giving them another tool. And I was sort of, I was talking to a couple of our architecture customers about this. So you, like, you know, we're starting to see more developers use the product. You know, what, what is, what is your hope for, for them using it? And one of the responses was, well, maybe I'll stop getting a bunch of stupid deals uh, that won't ever work 
you know, in my inbox. Maybe this will lead to a better pipeline for for architects in the long run, which I felt like is a pretty positive kind of outcome of having a developer user design tool is that maybe they'll see it's a little bit hard, it's a lot harder to to quote unquote do design than they thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's the democratization, which there's a better word maybe, but allowing more people to access these kinds of tools in the long run is going to be great uh, because it's so far been locked up in, in large firms that can afford to hire the computational designers. Yeah, interesting. So I, I'm kind of interested to see what other kind of low-hanging fruit stuff you guys are talking about. You said stairs. What, what else are you guys thinking about for your tool? Anything yeah, you can uh, talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically an open book. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe we should... I, I kind of made a joke the other week that I didn't tweet all the the kind of work in progress from that week. Oh yeah. And then uh, Alexine was, she said, "You're learning," or something. she's just she the the Yoda meme where it's like, "You're finally learning to not market stuff that you haven't built yet," uh, which is which is great. <laughs> there uh, is that there is that Osborne effect, right? I think that's what it's called. Where this dude Osborne who who designed the Osborne One computer basically put it on sale and immediately started talking about Osborne 2. And everybody got so excited about the things that he was talking about in Osborne 2, they never bought Osborne 1, right? So there's, <laughs> he went, went out of business. And and basically, you know, like it, the promise was it was going to be incredible. And this was back when personal computing was really starting to gain a foothold when there was Apple IIs and, or maybe before Apple IIs probably. And so I think Apple particularly took that to heart and said we are never going to pre-announce a thing at all but then yeah, they're they, sharing they, they the, left the the secretiveness thing to like a completely other ball or plane oh, of existence. totally <laughs> totally yeah and then there's other companies that have vaporware all the time right there's google does it microsoft does it the big i'm just talking about some big companies here they do it all the time and it oh yeah they talk about the promise of these things like this voice control AI thing where you can have it order dinner for you at a restaurant. It can understand what other people are talking. And they, they basically talked about it like it was an actual thing. And then, and then it just never came out. Right. So there's kind of a balance there, but I also, I actually with your company and and your guys style, I actually kind of appreciate that you just show what you're working on. And, and I've always appreciated people who show their work. I think about it kind of like a chef, you know, they, and you talk about like upcoming features and things like that, where there's companies who don't um, because they're concerned that some competitor might come along and, and do a thing that they're doing. But we all know that's really yeah. hard, right? So yeah. there's yeah. not I a get, lot of, I get, I get really frustrated with vaporware. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I know how hard it is to actually build these things. And you know, like there's a certain Google back company that said they're going to release a, a tool and, you know, made a big marketing hype thing about it and you like get to their website and this is one thing I talk to one of my buddies about all the time is like if there's no buy button on your website I'm automatically just going to assume it's vaporware and there's there's no way for me to actually use it yeah some companies do that for sales like they they just want to custom provide like a, a, a estimate for you know what specific company will need to pay uh, so that way they don't let you immediately start a demo but Look, if you're a Google back company uh, and you say you have a tool, then by God, I should be able to use that tool and tweet about it. Until I can tweet about it with GIFs, it's not a real tool. <laughs> so it's a good bar. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it really like there should be like you know hashtag architects against vaporware or something. Like someone should get on these companies, but um, yeah. it makes it hard for us to differentiate, uh, especially when there's so many different things out there now. All right, so let's let's take a turn from the software and talk about changes that have happened kind of with you and your life now that you are backed and you did have some money in the bank all of a sudden that you could make some changes from the um what i could only guess were like um a lot of microwave dinners and you know barely scraping by <laughs> to <laughs> to uh to you know i think you said you guys bought a house finally so tell me how things have changed and how what that's done for you guys oh yeah uh all right so let's see for for me at least personally uh, in the course of, I'll call it 90 days, uh, we closed our round. Uh, my wife and I finished up uh, our service to Apartment Life, which was a nonprofit they were working for for about two years. I really needed to start focusing all my time on, you know, full time on TestFit. So that was a really great thing to, to have that end. Let's see, we bought a house, we started quarantine. <laughs> uh, oh, and, uh, and we have a, wait. When does this go live? This probably a month out. Month? Okay. Well, just between you and me, and then for the people in a month from now, my wife is pregnant. I'm going to be a dad. Wow! Congrats, man. So, yeah, lots of change, and oh, and we hired employees. So there's been a lot of just a few stuff. things going on. Jeez. Yeah, like like if I haven't if I haven't been posting gifts very often, it's because there's a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've got, what, three engineers now. I've got a, a customer success director. And then I've got a product owner, Matt. He's he's amazing. The goal right now is to try to hand off a lot of the sort of day-to-day stuff I was doing so that I can focus more on strategics and, and grand vision. So nice. seeing other people kind of take over. Man, Evan, when somebody sends an email on your behalf for the first time after you've been doing it for two and a half years straight. Yeah. Uh, I just remember when Caroline sent an email, I, I basically just stopped what I was doing and rejoiced. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's great. It was like it was like something simple, like customer support. Like, you know, here's how you delete a site or whatever. That's awesome, man. So that's a ton of change. And, and it's kind of like you, you probably don't even have time to really step back and survey all that has is actually going to change in your future because of all that. You just kind of got to go, go, go. Yeah, I don't have don't have time to slow down. We have competitors now. There's a million things we can do, and and staying focused on on the few things that we really should do is my job, is keeping people on on fa- on task and and being focused on what what are our deliverables today. So, what's really driving you as the founder of this company or co-founder of this company? I don't know what the right word to use there is. I'm not quite sure. But as far as you guys go, like, what's really driving you? Uh, because I, I have this idea in my head of this fun little segment called True or False. Uh, <laughs> and, and the question is, or the statement is, technology is changing the architectural profession. True or false? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, know, uh, I, I know where you stand on that. So I'm wondering... I'll say, what, I'll, I'll say probably maybe. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's, that's a good way to kind of couch that because I know, I know what you're saying. So tell me, what, what's driving you guys? Yeah. So my motivation is that we're the gold standard. Uh, in my mind, uh, we've got the best configurator available to people at large. They can download and use immediately. We are hopefully the the algorithm or the the company that you know all the all of their generative design is compared to in terms of 
you know, usability and anyways, so we're raising the bar, Mm -hmm. right? It's now no longer acceptable to just have something that generates a box. That's old school. You got to start thinking about life safety. You got to start thinking about unit mixes. You got to start thinking about, uh, you know, last or two weeks ago, we released a DFMA tool that's, you know, more geared towards modular construction. So we've got a lot of features out there, but it's all in all in one uh, application, which I don't think anybody has really ever done before uh, from a, a configurator standpoint. So, you know, now the race is on, right? There's other, other firms out there kind of doing similar stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, the question was, you know, is this changing architecture? I honestly think that it's going to change general contracting a whole lot more and it's going to change real estate developers and their behavior a whole lot more uh, at first before it really starts to trickle into architecture. The sales cycle for getting into firms is, is way too long. Mm-hmm. You know, I spend way too much time to, to get, you know, even one year at test fits about $4,500. Mm-hmm. And if we have to spend 30 hours with a company to get them to fork over five grand, you know, that's, that's not sustainable uh, yeah. from a, for a software provider. So what's going to happen is, especially right now, if there's a recession, you know, who, who am I going to go after for, for, for new customers? It's going to be developers and contractors. And I'm just, you know, I, Evan, Evan, I'm just being straight up with you. Like, yeah. this, is, this is reality. Yeah, and no, I know that you guys have been doing that for a long time. I mean, that's been yeah. kind of your target, right, was developers from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But architects, they, uh, the feedback that architects bring to the software is is amazing. And we get some really beautiful files from architects. I'm not saying that I'm like abandoning architects at all. Yeah. Uh, far from it. Like I, if we could find a way that would be a super easy win for every, ter- every firm to use TestFit, we would. Yeah. Uh, we've even thought of, you know, okay, if we make the, the software free for architects, but developers have to pay, you know, three X what they're paying now, that would be a great way to both democratize and get, get more architects on board. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a weakness when architects are not paying for something, they typically don't use it. Mm-hmm. So there's a they lot. don't spend a lot of money on R and D, right? I mean, profession wide, it's shown. I've seen it many times. You know, half a percent, one percent, maybe, of uh, right. total revenue is goes back into R and D for architecture firms. And it's interesting to me that that's kind of a that's a battle that I fight for sure, where I'm at. And it's because we like to do it how we've always done it. I say there's there's two things that architects hate the way things are and change <laughs> and and there we are all the mid, all right in the middle all the time just kind of fighting that battle it's like yeah we we see better like you come along you come into the office you show test fit and it's like holy crap but not for me right that doesn't it doesn't fit perfectly <laughs> so i'm not even going to try it I'm yeah, fighting I mean, that what, battle. What what happens though, Evan, if one of these startups like Katera, who's got billions, or I guess they've raised billions or something, you know, what if, what if they say, okay, architecture, you're done. Like yeah. the only thing that architects get to do is yep. facade design. Yeah, I was actually at a at a tech conference in LA. I could just take the train over there, uh, and there was a guy from Katera presenting, and. They talked about all their CLT stuff and their their plant in Tracy, California, and how, what they were doing with it. And they basically came up with this giant cross laminated timber panel that they could then subdivide into four pieces, and then that became a module which they designed around. So they designed a thing they could produce in mass, and then cut it down so that it could be shippable. And mm-hmm. now that becomes the design module 
for a lot of their projects. And at the end of the presentation, one of the questions from the audience was, where do architects fit into this? So there's this guy raising his hand, and he's, where do architects fit into this? And the guy giving the presentation is an architect, and he was <laughs> he knew his audience. But and it was pretty funny because he did kind of navigate his way around that question. But the answer really was, we don't care. We don't really care about architects, right? We're, that's why we're doing it all ourselves. Because I think it, the writing has been on the wall for a long time. The only reason people use architects, for the most part, I'm generalizing here, is because they need a building permit with a stamp. They need a stamped set of drawings to get a building permit by an architect or an engineer. If the people paying for buildings did not have to use an architect, do you think they would? That's a great question. Uh, okay, so I have anecdotal evidence on that one. Talking to he's an older gentleman, maybe in his 50s, maybe 60s, uh, out in California. He, he worked as a developer for a long time, and he's now retired, and uh, he was generous enough to give me three hours of his time. Because, uh-huh. <laughs> like, th- what I'm really interested in is – is the value that that we create a test fit or an architect at the very beginning, like a very, you know, the, the feasibility study is the value that there's now something that the development community can relate to. Like we've generated a product that they can now go figure out how to sell it. And, you know, I, I think he, he said, yeah, like the fact that you can generate the thing that have a, a product for us to go look at and sell is, is critically important. It's something that we wouldn't be able to do on our own because, you know, they can do the financial model pretty easily in Excel. They can do all these other things. Uh, they can look at land and they can have an idea for it, but it's, it's creating the vision for that land that really the architecture community gets behind and creates. So yeah. I, I don't know, like I've worked at, you know, streetlights residential is a kind of vertically integrated firm where we were doing architecture design. We we're doing construction, doing general contracting, doing the development, and we, we still subcontracted out CDs to another firm and we didn't want to do the CDs. I mean, architecture is always going to have construction documents. That's never going to go away. But I mean, I think developers are, are in the mood to vertically integrate because they're going to have to. Uh, and that means that architecture firms are going to be the new architecture firm is going to look pretty different. It's going to look more like a master builder than anything. I, I, I could push back on that and say, I don't think that architects really need to do documentation. I think that that's not where their value is. I don't think they're ever going to outdraft a general contractor or a or an, a construction outfit. Uh, and I think that the big push that I've seen with automation is to automate as much of the drawing as possible, right? I mean, people spend more of their time modeling than drawing. And maybe maybe to the to you, that means the same thing. Is that what you're talking about? I mean, I think a little bit, uh, but remember, 50% of firms have not adopted BIM in the U.S. Right. So, you know, you've got a whole problem of people just being happy making money uh, selling hours and, you know, and then the the software providers like AutoCAD um, or Autodesk providing AutoCAD, you know, they're still going to make their, their annual kind of maintenance fee on that. They don't want that well to dry up. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like you don't want to, you don't want to just like throw away your, your cash cow for no reason. So you're going to have to show, like, I think if you're, if you're a a 2d CAD firm, 
Tesfit would be a hell of a gateway drug to get you into them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I've seen some firms convert, but if you're not doing it with conviction, you're not going to do, do it right. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, th- I think you're, you're right. I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm shooting towards one small piece of the target versus the the bigger picture really is that that is the meat of the business is in the service side, the drawing side. But I, again, I kind of go back to the, the idea that other professionals out there who are paying for the buildings to be built would prefer not to have an architect do it because that's, that's wasted money, right? They're getting a set of drawings. They're not getting a building. And I'm and I'm generalizing with that because I don't think that's what architecture really is. But I think a lot of people think that's what architecture is. It's just the no, means, no. means to an end. Where where that where that whole system of not needing an architect falls apart is when you actually need a guy to explain. You know, it's like it's like poetry. Like you could create a poetry generator, but it's not going to be a great poem until you have somebody sort of set it up and structure it in a way. Mm-hmm. So like, think through think through a design school. Right, my first thing is okay. I got my site. You know, how, what is the arrival like here? You know, there are things that designers do that, you know, an algorithm is going to be completely incapable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's more, more of the experiential stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You're still like, look, societal problems that architecture solves. Jeez, that's never going to go away. And my, my key, my key point there is whenever I talk about that is go look at hundredfold studio uh, up in Montana where they're, they're working on, on projects. They're like maybe probably the only nonprofit architecture firm, uh, 501c3 that I know of. And the work that they, that they work on is like, you know, how do we make a clinic in Nigeria for people to come in and, and get a, a checkup? And they've got very different design constraints than you would have here. Uh, and they're, they're able to democratize design in, in a way that the least of these can still access. Yeah, I know. I I think that we're kind of saying the same thing in different ways. I believe that that truly is where the architect's value is, but it's not in actually doing the drawings to make that thing a reality. So I feel like we could get a lion's share of that design intent, the design value kind of work if we were to reposition ourselves away from doing the drawings part of it. And where, that's where I see tools like yours and smart tools really taking that off of our plate so that we can actually prove it to the world that that's where our value mm-hmm. lies is in those is in the the idea part of it in the synthesis yeah. part of yeah. it. Architecture should should pivot to maybe I'll call it more generically, but built environment problem solvers, mm-hmm. and that that'll open up your market share to like okay, well, what if we can work on roads and highways, right? You know, Absolutely. Did, I've always thought why, that. Why, why are did, architects why, designing these overpasses and yeah, underpasses and all? Yeah. yeah like, like, are, are we really going to have the the traffic engineers be the ones that, that really take, you know, it's all that it's an enormous amount of public money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, all the time it looks like crap, you know, someone should do something about it. Yep. Even, even here in Texas, the, you know, the North Texas transit authority, I think they finally got some design guy on their team because all of the new roads look amazing. Wow. That's cool. I mean, that I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, thinking about the future and how much things are going to change, I did a, a talk at my office about just the change that autonomous vehicles are going to bring. And I had done a bunch of research online and watched a bunch of videos and looked up some other talks. And it just really got me thinking about how much, you know, thinking far, far enough out into the future where the majority of cars on the road or transportation is handled autonomously 
And now looking at even the, the work from home situation that we're in, where there's just not a lot of cars on the road, what do you start to do with those streets and roadways now that they're not as big as they are right now? They don't have to be as big. We don't need all those parking lots. We need more human experience happening. And I and you, there's a lot of people working on that problem, on the autonomous vehicle side of that problem. There are right. not very many people working on the resultant side of that at the city level, at the policy level, to say, here's the plan for when that happens. Here's, what, here's how we're going to take this space back, and here's how we're going to make it useful for people because we don't need it all for cars anymore. And that, to me, is there's so much opportunity there and but yet we can we still stay inside of this one percent for the one percent and we continue to whittle down our fees to compete within that very tiny margin when there's so much else out there that we could be you know thought leadership actual design work policy making proactive approach to where society's going i've got i've got a good number for you but uh, i've got to look it up so you know, on the on the note of like things that keep me awake at night is like I live in Dallas County, I live in suburbia kind of area now. And, you know, what if the the front yard setback was 20 feet instead of 30 feet? How much more dense could our entire community be? And wouldn't that be a more sustainable future for us? Right. You know, stuff like that just drives me nuts. And yeah, you add all those tiny little things up and it Yeah, huge. yeah, where, where you don't really know, like, why at the policy level they decided that, you know, every house should have a 30-foot setback. Yeah. Like, who, who, who makes that decision? And was it made in the 30s, the 40s? And so, you know, maybe isn't it time to come back and, and you know, in California they're doing this right now with the ADUs, but – could we revisit some of these policy decisions and and hopefully come up with more density and more new urbanist uh, solution to to our housing problems, especially in Texas, where God, we have like no public transportation, and the public transportation we do have has stations that are not surrounded in density. Mm-hmm. They're just like a park in the middle of nowhere, and you're like, well, why is there a station here? Makes well, no I guess sense. someone, you know, it's sort of like the kiss and ride idea. But yeah, so uh, the value of construction put in place in 2018 was 1.2 trillion in the U.S. Uh, so 1.2 trillion in the U.S. 2018. How much of that did the architectural community grab? Right. Do you have Do you have a guess? I have no idea. <laughs> Not 10 percent of it. Okay, so 1.2 trillion. Architecture got 45 billion of that. Wow. So we've got to do something to, and in in in, uh, in startup terms, the serviceable available market. Yeah, the SAM only at forty five billion wow. out of one point two trillion. Wow, why isn't the AIA like fighting for? I don't know. I don't know. Someone should do some like we should like create a, a what are they? Uh, the Bernie Sanders people get into a uh, collective bargaining situation. That's interesting. You know it it. The reason why I think a lot of that happens is because we can't get out of the old mindset or the business is built on, again, going back to what we talked about earlier with just firms being built on and not being able to change because the entire pipeline has been designed to do the thing that we're doing right now. There was a an interesting article on Tesla where they kind of tore down the Model 3 and this 
website came out and, and said, you know, they're at least five years ahead of everybody else for several reasons. I mean, they were, I think they were specifically talking about their, their AI stuff in this teardown, but then they also were looking at the battery. They were also looking at who's supplying the parts. And, and one of the reasons they said they're so far ahead is not because of those things, but because of the other automakers are so dependent upon the systems that they've built, they won't be able to change those. Yeah, this the current systems, the the OAC contract, like the way that it's set up is just it's a complete disaster. Yeah, I I think that's one of the things that the COVID thing has brought really top of mind for me and a lot of the leaders in our company is not how do we get back to normal, but how do we take up advantage of this opportunity to completely rethink the way that we do things. And it sounds to me like that's what you're also talking about on so many other levels, right? It's like, how do we reinvent? How do we how do we actually cut off the past and just take a step into what's next? Because that really is, it, it, it's such a burden that we're all dragging this anchor along with us of how we've always done things. And that is one of the most dangerous things that companies say on a day-to-day basis. Well, this is how we've always done it, right? Right. And that's the, so, you know, I'll give uh, Ian Keow like definite props for just get him on the phone, man. He'll, he'll get, if you ever get him rolling on what, like why he's passionate about this, it's so great. Cause it'll be like, you know, why are we just starting from fresh on every single building we've ever built? We have all of the information right here. It's the same building. It's 90% of the last building we did. Why can't we just grab that intelligence and re, use it over and over again. Right. And that's, you know, I'm going to probably copy him moving forward. Cause like, he's totally right. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you look at test fit, what we did was we captured my design intelligence and put it into an algorithm. And now test fit, I'll, I'll comfortably say, you know, a, a million apartment units, mm-hmm. not buildings, a million apartment units have been generated by real users uh, in our software. Mm-hmm. And, you know, test fit is now, you could say the most experienced planner in the country when mm-hmm. it comes to multifamily buildings. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just the value of like pouring that information that we knew how to design something in the past. So let's just embed it into, into technology and into rules. Yeah. And as more companies like us do this, architecture is going to have to pivot, you know, way faster. I'm, I'm just amazed at what one of my engineers can do in a week. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. So as far as like, kind of getting to retooling the profession, retooling the future on many different scales. Uh, what are you seeing personally that, or, or what's something that you do personally, like some kind of, I don't know, do you have a, a personal hack or a personal system that you um, employ to help yourself perform better, your company, tech, analog, digital, physical, it doesn't really matter. I'm just kind of looking for like what's what's a little secret recipe that Clifton you use to <laughs> to do things? Like you're doing a lot. How are you doing it? Uh, get good people on your team. Use use Slack for one. If you're not in Slack or any kind of work from home app right now, you're gonna have a hard time. Hmm. But really, it's it's the guys on our team that that are really helpful, and it's the customers that we have that give us feedback all the time. You know, my source of truth is my customers and I'm really motivated when they send me an email saying, hey, just like this morning, some guy couldn't solve a site that was more than 15 acres. That lights a fire under me to get stuff done. Um, 
but I, you know, I will say that, you know, while I wish I had some grand plan sort of written out, I have not that I have a tech tree that sort of has like ideas about where we should go. Uh-huh. And then whenever customers sort of respond to that, those ideas positively, I kind of just have a mental note as what, what features we should work on next. It gets a little mental upvote there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Lots of mental upvotes, That's- but we don't have release cycles that we have to hit. We don't have any of this kind of stuff. We're going to ship products when the software is, is really ready for people to use it. And it, we're, we're in a creative, it's a creative process at TestFit, right? Like there's not going to be any one way that you should generate a parking garage. So we might need to go through five or 10 iterations of that before it's really ready for customers to use it. Seems to me like there's some opportunity for kind of capturing that across the the board and and using that to drive the next versions or or like Ian's trying to do over there at Hypar where it's never start with a blank page. Here's great rules of thumb generated from all this other data that all these people are using and putting into the system so that the entire profession can get better faster. Yeah. The hard part is how do you convince people to hand over what they consider IP? Yeah. And put it on a, a you know a new platform. I mean, Ian's got his own problems you got to deal with. But like today, they they released you know they now can do Grasshopper. You know, so I'm super excited about how they're grabbing the computational design community. Mm-hmm. Our 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 job at TestFit is how do we grab just typical planners and typical people and try to get them excited about generative design? Yeah, because not I mean, there's not everybody in the world that's going to want to write a high par script and and deploy it on high par. So I think really exciting is it's two it's two American companies. They're approaching the problem from one direction. We're approaching it from the other direction. Mm-hmm. And when we meet in the middle, it's going to be great. Yeah, I agree. So who else is out there that influences you? Who who you listen to? Who do you read? Ooh, right now, for sure, Dan Pink. It's like the creative age. Mm, um, I haven't heard of that one. I've I've read Drive. I think it's the next book after drive. It might be the same book. I was, I was reading that last week uh, because we had a, a, an employee that, that talked about motivation. And mm-hmm. for me, it's all intrinsic motivation. I'm just super happy to be here. I don't need a carrot. I don't need a stick. Right, um, right. By far my favorite thing is, is building features and, and seeing, seeing users use them and getting files. Like even if it's a bugged file, just, Oh my gosh, look what this, this, this customer built. That's a motivator on its own. That's got to be really cool. As as we hire people, they don't have the same motivations, right? So we're, you know, Ryan actually read several books. Ryan, my co-founder. So my title for sure is co-founder. Ryan's Ryan's the the genius behind TestFit. I'm just the the guy that claims credit for everything he builds. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Ryan was reading a couple of books on on management and motivation. So I'm only I'm 29 now, so I'm, I'm trying to approach every new employee we have with a, a pretty huge grain of humility, and that I don't really know how to manage you. So we're we're gonna we're trying to figure out what that looks like. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so last last question before we turn this thing off. So where can people find out more about you and follow along with what you guys are doing online? <laughs> uh, LinkedIn is pretty good if you if you just want curated content mm-hmm. if you want a little bit messier twitter for sure if you're an ahc and you're not on twitter i would encourage you to it's a pretty healthy community yeah. when i say healthy i mean people are positive about what other people are talking about and if you have a problem that you're trying to solve like 
I love Aaron Mahler's use of social media because, like, if he has a problem he's trying to solve, he'll just, like, tweet it, and then I'll get a response in 10 seconds. Right. And, yeah, like, you don't need to always ask for help within your own company. Like, it's a, it's, that's why I'm saying it's a healthy community because people are there to help each other. Yeah. And it's always um, on. I mean, it's just hot all the time. Yeah. Uh, the High Part Discord's been pretty cool because uh, they, they're really curating a, a community there. They're trying to build a, a, a platform. Um, I would stop by just to, to read some of the, like there's people that'll type a lot of words. So you got to yeah, read, um, some, some solid thought leadership. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I am planning on writing another thought leadership article. I re- I've written one on LinkedIn It's about architecture firm brain drain and it got some, some angry or at least two or three angry comments, but I'm okay Can't with that. Them all, man. <laughs> Can't please them all. No, no, you know, you're, you know, you're doing well when, when some people are against what you're doing. So it's fine. Yeah, I mean, you can also email me, Clifton at testfit.io. Uh, I get like 300 emails a day. So if I don't respond immediately, it's because you're there's drowning. a lot of emails. <laughs> yeah. Because you're drowning. And yeah. what's, your, what's your Twitter handle so everybody knows what that is? Oh, great. I think it's like at Harness Clifton, maybe. I think so. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. How about that? Uh, yeah, it's at Harness Clifton. At Harness Clifton. All right, cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out and chat today. I think there's a lot of cool stuff to continue to talk about over the, the foreseeable future. So I'm, I'm really excited to watch you guys grow and see what you guys do. Um, but not just to get bigger, but just cause you guys are solving really cool problems. So I think I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Oh yeah. We're, we're trying to solve the annoying, you know, design problems that people have every, every day. We're not trying to be the driver of form and we're not trying to destroy an industry. I mean, it's, we're just trying to like, keep architects from counting parking stalls every single time they want to count parking stalls cool man well thanks very much and uh, always good talking to you yeah thanks for having me evan appreciate it Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and help get the word out. And of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E Troxel. Talk to you soon. <laughs>